Good morning. I got to say I'm pretty excited about, oh, sorry, I'm excited about, is that better? Excited about, uh, the reason why I stopped and tried to speak a little louder, you know, we got a new sound system that we're using for the first time today, and apparently this, this mic needs a little adjustment, and so Chet said that I should try not to be too loud. And, yeah, right, exactly, that's, that's yeah, so I'm going to work on it. But anyway, I want to say how excited I am um, that for the next five weeks, I get to preach through the book of Jonah. Uh, man, I'm just, I'm thrilled to get to do that. Um, and I, I'm grateful that uh, Caleb and Chet have entrusted um, that to me. And I just want you to, I don't take that lightly. I, I, I do indeed see that, that, that the other elders have entrusted the next five weeks to me and and so i'm you know my my prayer and my promise is that i'll be faithful with that over the next five weeks as we look at uh the book of jonah together so if you have uh your bible uh, turn to the book of jonah and we're going to be looking at the first chapter but you know before we get to that before we actually start diving into jonah chapter one you know uh, we probably need to have some background and think about um, the book of Jonah and, and its historical context and, and, and even the theme of, of the book of um, Jonah. And, um, you know, as I think about the theme of Jonah, I think about the way I have treated salvation in, in my own life. And maybe even think about the way within Christianity we treat salvation sometimes. And then just within culture. And I, I think that, I, I know that in my own life, I know that in my own life, I have treated salvation as though it were mine. And I look around and, and even inside of uh, the Christian community, among Christians and various Christian denominations, there is this tendency to treat salvation as though it's mine. And that it belongs to me. And then certainly in our culture, if salvation even is believed to exist, it's believed to be owned and belong to me. It's, it's mine. And, and sometimes that tendency to think that salvation belongs to me comes from this idea that somehow by my choosing or by my good behavior or due to my strict obedience to a set of rules, I have earned salvation. I've earned it because I either made the right choices or, you know, I, I sought it out. Perhaps I sought it out. Perhaps I feel like Salvation belongs to me because I went looking for it. I thought, I want to be saved. Where do I find salvation? And I went searching for it, and I found it. Therefore, it belongs to me. Or, as I already said, perhaps that, that tendency to think that salvation belongs to me comes from the fact that I feel like I earned it. That either, hey, I chose the right thing. I chose to follow Christ. You know, I, I chose God, and therefore salvation belongs to me. Or, going a step further, I obeyed all the rules. There's this strict set of rules, and I obeyed them. 
and I continue to obey them, and since I have obeyed the rules, and since I continue to obey the rules, salvation belongs to me. I think those are some of the misconceptions, erroneous ideas that accompany this thought that salvation belongs to me. What I'm getting at is the theme of Jonah, which is salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs completely to God. And I, and I, I think we'll see that demonstrated week in and week out over the next five weeks as we look at the book of Jonah. We'll see that salvation does indeed belong to God. It does not belong to us. And now there is another dangerous Erroneous idea surrounding, you know, this thought that salvation belongs to me. Let's say I have an understanding that I am saved by God's grace completely and salvation is completely and entirely a work of God and it's just by His grace that I have been saved. But I still think of it as mine because of what I do with it once I've got it. In other words, I decide who is worthy of it. I decide who I'm going to share it with. I will tell those people about salvation that's found in Christ, but I'm, I've decided not to tell them because of whatever prejudice I have. And it might be a prejudice over their particular brand of sin. Okay, so that group over there, their sin is just so uncomfortable to me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell them about salvation in Christ. Do you know what I'm saying when I do that? Salvation belongs to me because I decide who gets it. And that is a, a, another error in thinking when it comes to thinking about salvation. Salvation belongs to God. And all of these attitudes will be discovered in Jonah as we work through the book of Jonah. Now, um, the book of Jonah uh, is a prophecy and a story. It's, a, it's an account, really. I know it's grouped in with the minor prophets, but if you think about Jonah, it's really more historical than it is prophetic because it isn't filled with Jonah um, proclaiming this Long prophecy of God's judgment upon a people. In fact, what is the prophetic message in Jonah? It's really short. Anybody know? Yeah, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is the complete prophetic message. In the book of Jonah. That is the message God called Jonah to deliver to the great an evil city of Nineveh. Forty days more, and then Nineveh will be overthrown. That, that's, that is the complete prophetic message. So uh, the book of Jonah is really more historical, it's more history than it is uh, prophecy, though Jonah is grouped in with the minor prophets. And Jonah is certainly a prophet in Israel. We, look, we see in 2 Kings, we see in 2 Kings that Jonah prophesied in Israel uh, during the reign of Jeroboam II, which puts him, you know, 7, I don't know, 80 to 750 BC, something like that. So let's just call it 760 BC. Um, and 
So that's the context um, as far as Jonah is concerned when, when we read the book of Jonah. Now, we also know that, that Jonah is called, because we read it in verse 1, uh, which we'll do in a moment, that Jonah is called to deliver this prophecy to the city of Nineveh, the great city. So Nineveh is this super important city in Assyria. Okay? And um, Assyria, of course, is an off-and-on enemy of Israel. Right? We understand that. In fact, about 100 years after Jonah, okay, about 100 years after that, in approximately 660... Uh, BC, uh, God proclaims his judgment through uh, the prophet Nahum. That's, a, that's an entire prophecy against Nineveh. And God, and in that prophecy, this is one of the things God proclaims he will do to Nineveh. Okay, and think about it. God says to Nineveh through the prophet, I will lift your skirts and show your nakedness to the nations, and smear dung on you. <laughs> wow! Uh, that's God's message of judgment to Nineveh in a hundred years. So clearly, Nineveh is an evil city. N- Nineveh is an enemy of Israel and an enemy of God. Because of the great evil that goes on there. That's the city in which Jonah is called. So I'm going to ask you this question as we prepare to read then chapter 1 and dive into chapter 1 of the book of Jonah. Have you ever known that God was calling you to do something that you just absolutely didn't want to do? Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist, or a great theologian to figure out that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? I mean, just, that's not that hard to figure out. And, and we see how Jonah responded to the call to go to Nineveh. Has God ever called you to do something you absolutely didn't want to do? Well, be careful about that. <laughs> you saw what, you're going to find out what happens to Jonah. But here's the thing that's more importantly, the more important that we need, that's more important that we need to hear, that we need to know, is that when God calls us, He reveals something about His character. And when we resist God's call, we're denying an aspect of God's character. Hopefully you'll see what I mean here in just a few moments. Let's go ahead and look at Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. And three nights. You know, if you've been in church um, or Sunday school very many times, you know the story of Jonah, right? In fact, we, you know, we've, I've been in the children's ministry. We actually have a little board book, the story of Jonah. Not not quite as detailed and maybe as accurate as we find in the scriptures, but it's there, you know. And, and so you know that God calls Jonah, who is a prophet, by the way. Okay? And we know, because again, go back to 2 Kings, Jonah has already prophesied in Israel concerning other things. That prophecy is not written down in the scriptures for us, but... We do know of it because the scripture gives testimony of it. So Jonah is a prophet of God by call and by occupation. That's simply what he does. And God calls him to go to this great city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, this great important city that has been uh, at times an enemy of Israel and will once again be an enemy of Israel. God calls Jonah to go. And Jonah's immediate response is to flee the other direction. You know, because, um, you know, if I had a map uh, of, the, of the region of that day, you know, we would have um, Nineveh, or uh, yeah, Nineveh up here in sort of the, the northeast, uh, okay, northeast of, of Israel, you know, about 
500 or so uh, kilometers, and then uh, and then. And, and it's and it's by land. You get there by land. Okay, you don't sail there. You travel there by caravan or whatever. And what Jonah does is he immediately gets goes to Joppa, finds a ship that literally is going in the opposite direction. Okay, and he pays the fare, gets on the ship, regardless of God's call, in spite of in many ways God's call, and goes the opposite direction. And then we are told that. This storm rises up on, on the sea. And the ship is tossed around. In fact, the scripture says that it is threatened of breaking up. So this great storm is about to destroy the ship and everybody on it. That's the reality. And the sailors, the scripture said, are afraid. They are afraid of the storm. They are afraid for their lives. And being, <clears throat> being definitely religious... Okay, not necessarily followers of the one true God, but definitely being religious and superstitious, immediately think, okay, there is a God out there somewhere who is causing this to happen to us. We better figure out what it is. We better figure out what the problem is and fix the problem to appease this God so we can be safe. That is their, I mean, that is immediately their thinking. They, the storm comes, they're afraid, they start asking, oh, who, whose fault is this, whose fault is this? And among themselves, they can't really figure out that one of them has offended the God that they serve enough that he might do this. So they think, oh wait, we got that guy who, who paid the fare, who's going to Tarshish, let's ask him. And they find Jonah asleep down in the... In the uh, down in the ship, in the in the bottom of the ship, in the hold or whatever, and and the captain of the ship says, "What are you doing? You know, come on, man, we we're about to die up here. There's a storm. We've got to figure this out. Help us figure this out, quick. Tell us who are you? Where are you from? What god do you serve? And and of course, Jonah tells them that he is a Hebrew, and then he says something very interesting. He says, "I." Fear the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. Now, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah responds by disobeying God and getting on a boat on the sea to flee from the presence of the Lord. In fact... Right there in those first four verses of Jonah, we are told three times that Jonah is fleeing to go to, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Perhaps you can explain to me how Jonah's actions demonstrate that he fears the Lord. Because that's, that's what he says to the, to, to the sailors. He says, I fear the Lord who made the... The sea and the dry land. Funny how when you're disobeying the God who makes the sea and the dry land, you go on the sea to try to escape. Sounds like a bad idea to me. Okay? And it proves to be a bad idea. Uh, so they cast lots. Falls on Jonah. They ask Jonah, what do we have to do to appease the Lord? Because now they... they isn't it interesting? At first, the the sailors I keep wanting to, I keep wanting to call them pirates. 
who don't do anything, if you know what I mean. Okay, I, uh, I've recently bought the VeggieTales Jonah movie and watched it in preparation for preaching through Jonah. Please understand, that's not the only thing I did, okay? I didn't just like watch that about 20 times. I've also been reading, studying the scriptures intensely and listening to them. And, but, you know, i got to admit that helped a little bit. Okay, all right, so the pirates, I'm sorry, the sailors, um, they don't want to throw Jonah into the sea. Jonah says, hey, here's how you get rid of the storm. Throw me into the sea. And they, well, they don't want to do that. So they, first they just throw all the, you know, all the cargo, everything on the ship that's holding it down and weighting it down, they throw it off. Let's get rid of the cargo first. Because here's Jonah, a human being. Interesting, isn't it? How the, the pagan sailors have more compassion for Jonah than Jonah has for them. You know how I know that? If Jonah knew he was the problem, why didn't he just jump off? Right? Why didn't he just say, I'm the problem, see ya, over the rail and into the sea? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he just jump off if he knew he was the problem? Because Jonah didn't care. Jonah didn't care what happened to the sailors. Just like Jonah didn't really care what happened to Nineveh. Because there's got to be more to Jonah's refusal to go to Nineveh. Because, again, remember what his message was? Forty days more than, than, than Nineveh is overthrown. I mean, if you hated Ninevites, wouldn't you enjoy offering that gem right there? Hey, you guys got 40 days and then you're toast. Okay, So there had to be more. There's a, there's a deeper problem in Jonah's life than simply he just didn't want to go. And we'll discover that as we go on. But the, it's, it's interesting that those sailors had more compassion for Jonah than he had for them. Because he, instead of throwing himself overboard into the sea to save that shipload of sailors, he just, just said, well, if you want to do it, here's what you can do to, to, to save yourselves. Throw me into the sea. Put it on them. They were unwilling to do that at first. So they throw all the cargo over. And then finally, finally, they, they realize the only thing they can do, they've, they've tried everything else. And the only thing left is to throw Jonah overboard. But they offer a prayer. And this is not a general prayer to some god out there somewhere because once Jonah says he fears the, that he's a Hebrew, he fears the Lord. Now the sailors only talk about the Lord. They talk about Yahweh, the one true God. That's the, at first they're just talking about a general deity that anybody and everybody might worship or the God of their own choosing, the God of their own making, God with a little g. That's what they're talking about at first. But once Jonah reveals who he is, then they only talk about Yahweh. And then they pray to the Lord. They pray to Yahweh. And they ask that they be not held, that they be innocent of this man's blood. That they not be held accountable for throwing him overboard. And then they do it. They throw him overboard. And immediately, the sea is calm. And the scripture says that 
the sailors feared Yahweh, feared the Lord exceedingly. That was their response to everything that they saw. And then, if you know the story, you know what happens next. The giant fish comes and swallows up Jonah, and the story continues. That's what we want to look at today. That, that this, this chapter 1, first part of the story of, of, of Jonah. And I said earlier that God's call reveals something about his character. And we see something about God's character revealed in his call to Jonah. God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and prophesy. Give this message for their evil is great and it's, it's come to my attention. Well, I think first we see God's holiness displayed. The evil, the sin of this great city has come up before the Lord and in His holiness, God can no longer abide it. So, He is sending a message of of impending judgment if the situation does not change. So we see God's holiness displayed, but, but also we see that God is both a seeking and a sending God. God is both a seeking and a sending God. First of all, God is sending Jonah. God is sending one of his own, a prophet, one whose job it is, whose call it is, is to speak for God. So God is sending, he's sending this one to the great and evil city of Nineveh. He is a sending God. But he's also a seeking God. Why is God sending Jonah? Because God is seeking Nineveh. God is seeking the Ninevites. What's, what's the purpose of this message of, of judgment? The purpose is that they would repent. We, we see, especially if we go to the end of Jonah, God's desire in this, this pronouncement of judgment, this warning of judgment against Nineveh, is that they would repent. That they would repent and turn to Him. That they would turn from their evil. That they would turn to their, from their sin and they would turn in faith to God. That's God's desire. That's His purpose. And that's the reason that He's sending Jonah. And I, I have to believe that Jonah knows this. Jonah knows that the reason that God is sending him to Nineveh is not to witness its destruction, but to witness its salvation. Because God is a seeking and sending God. He, well, certainly reflected in the New Testament, right? Reflected in the New Testament is this idea that God is a seeking and sending God. I mean, this is a statement, you know, worthy of full acceptance. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Right? 
Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. We see throughout the New Testament that God is a seeking and sending God. God sent His Son to seek and to save that which is lost. And in this call to Jonah, we see this character of God, that He is a seeking and a sending God. So... How do, we, how do we respond to a seeking and sending God? I, I think we see in, uh, in Jonah chapter 1, the way some responded as sort of a, a type of the way we might respond. And of course, the first response would be that of the... The sailors, or, again, I'm admitting some extra-biblical material has slightly influenced the statement, but, you know, fearful pirates, okay? Fear, fearfulness, fearfulness is one response to, the, to this seeking and sending God. Hebrews 10.31 tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The storm that the sailors experienced on the sea, which caused such great fear, is, is really a manifestation of God's power and the purpose of His will. First of all, because God made the sea and the dry land and He controls it, His power is demonstrated in a storm. God sends the storm onto the sea to get the attention of the one He calls. But then also we see God's purpose displayed. God's desire is for Jonah to go to Nineveh to deliver a message. And guess what? Jonah's going to go to Nineveh. And deliver a message. Now, Jonah's not going to get there the way he normally would if he just immediately obeyed. You know, he's going to definitely take a detour, right? In the belly of a fish, in the belly of a whale. He's going to definitely going to take a detour, but he's going to get there. Because the storm is a manifestation of God's purpose being fulfilled in Jonah and in Nineveh and in the lives of the sailors. Let's not forget them and their lives as well. Okay? So God's will is going to be, His purpose, His will is going to be accomplished. And God will use, He will demonstrate His power in fulfilling His will. And that storm is a manifestation of all of that. And the response of the sailors is fear. They fear the storm, but they're also fearful of the God of the storm. Now they do not yet know who He is. They do not yet call him by name, and their fear is fear of destruction and fear for their lives. It's not yet a reverent fear. It's more it's it, it, it's more of a well it's sort of a surprise fear. You know, it's it's the fear you know, you feel when, 
you know, the snake jumps up through the hole in the floor or, uh, you know, in the movie or the monster, you know, whatever. OK, you know, it's that it's the fear that makes you scream. That's the fear that they feel. That's their their immediate response to the power and might of of God as he demonstrates his power and as he works to fulfill his purpose. It's a fearful thing because he is a mighty living God who controls the, the sea and the dry land. And by the way, all of creation, all of the universe, it's his. And he is wielding that might and demonstrating it. It's manifested in just a small amount because this is really just one storm. Okay, this is just one storm, but it's enough. And the sailors are afraid. They are fearful. And let's face it, in our, in our day, there are some who are just going to be afraid. And I don't mean reverent fear, reverence and awe, but just flat out afraid for their lives. Of God. The fact that he seeks and that he sends is fearful to some. That's how they will respond. But there's another response. And it's demonstrated by the resentful prophet. So we have the fearful pirates. And they, and they represent the response of fearfulness. Simply afraid for my life kind of fear in falling into the hands of a living God. But then also there's this resentfulness of the prophet. And that's demonstrated, of course, by Jonah. Because, first of all, he flees. He hears God's call. Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up to me. Verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go, to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So twice, twice, three times we're told he's going to Tarshish, which we know is in the opposite direction, and twice we're told that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah refuses to obey. Jonah disobeys God and goes In the opposite direction, he has the audacity to say that he fears the Lord who made the, the, in fact, it's in verse 9, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, well, it's, again, I think it's very interesting that Jonah uses the word fear here because, um, you know, because what he really means is resent. I resent, or I'm afraid of, what I fear is that God's going to do what I don't want him to do. That's what Jonah really means. He says, I'm afraid, I fear the Lord because he's going to do what I don't want him to do. That should be in parentheses uh, after his statement about fearing the Lord because that's exactly what motivates Jonah. He knows that God will do what Jonah does not want him to do. So his response is to flee. Now, how do I know that Jonah fears that? Because he says so. If we go to chapter 4, if you went to Jonah chapter 4, the first two or three verses of Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is, says he's, he's, he's angry. And in prayer to the Lord, he says, this is why I arose and went the other way. I knew you were gracious. 
Because here's what happened. Jonah eventually went to Nineveh. He proclaimed the message. And the city of Nineveh, in a day of humility and fasting and prayer, repented and turned to the Lord. There was a great revival in the city of Nineveh. And so God put away his wrath. He put away his anger at Nineveh. And he showed them mercy. And that's what Jonah despised. He says, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were a gracious God. And I simply didn't want you to show your grace to Nineveh because I hate them. Put in parentheses, because salvation belongs to me. See, that's the attitude that Jonah exhibits in his resentment toward God. His response to this seeking and sending God is to resent it. To resent and despise the fact that God is merciful. Especially that God is merciful to Jonah's enemies. That's what Jonah resents. Do you ever find yourself resenting God's mercy? Do you ever find yourself keeping your mouth shut, remaining silent, because you know God is gracious? And it would just bother you too much if God showed grace to that person or that group of people. So you just hold your tongue, you keep your silence. You, you might have an opportunity or even a, a, a call to proclaim the gospel to this person or to this group of people, but you don't because of the grace of God. You don't because God is a merciful God. That's the, that was Jonah's response. That's the place that Jonah finds himself in. He finds himself opposing God. Did you get that? Because it's, it's not just that there's a call and Jonah disobeys and, and, and that's the end of it. No, because the call of God communicates something about God's character and God's character is a God of holiness and he's a seeking and sending God. And when Jonah disobeys, he denies that aspect of God's character and finds himself in opposition to God. Because God, again, is going to fulfill his purpose in Nineveh. The message will be proclaimed. And, and Nineveh will have the opportunity to repent. And as they repent, God shows his graciousness and his mercy to them. And he puts off his judgment for a hundred years. So Jonah, because he resents God's graciousness. It's, it's interesting Jonah doesn't really resent God's graciousness to him. In fact, we're going to find out Jonah loves the fact that God is gracious to him. He loves the fact that God is merciful to him. I mean, do you think that when Jonah was thrown into the sea, he thought that his life would be spared by a giant fish? I'm sure that Jonah was prepared to die. But God showed mercy to Jonah. 
preserved his life. And throughout the book of Jonah, we're going to see God showing mercy, showing grace to Jonah. But, excuse me. But Jonah will love that. He'll embrace God's mercy to him. He'll embrace God's grace to him. But he'll despise it towards the Ninevites. Do you ever find yourself in that place? Guys, it's, a, it's, it's not that far from us. It's not. If, if we really look at our heart and look at our attitudes... Guys, we'll see that we're not far from Jonah. We might think, oh, man, I'm nothing like him. You know, because I'm a good swimmer. You know, I don't know. Or whatever. You know, uh, I would never get on a ship with a bunch of cheese doodles. No, you know, I'm, whatever. But we're, we're not that far from Jonah. We're just not in our attitude. And I think if we search our heart and search the way we the think, the way we think and the way we act, we'll find that, yeah, there are some times when we avoid some people, avoid communicating the gospel, avoid ministry too, because we still want God to show grace to them. We want them to suffer for their choices because of their sin, whatever it is. We want to keep our silence because the last thing we want is God to show grace to them. And guys, when we do that, Get this very clear. When we do that, we oppose God. We are in opposition to Him. Do you really want to find yourself opposing the God who made <laughs> the sea and the dry land? Oh, by the way, He also made the sky. So where can you go to escape Him? It's not a hard question. Nowhere. There's nowhere you can go to escape him, right? Jonah found that out. Jonah thought, well, if I go in the opposite direction on this obscure little boat uh, across the sea, maybe I can escape God. No, there is no escaping him. We cannot escape God. Jonah finds he cannot escape God. Neither can we when we find ourselves in opposition to him. But then finally, we see... The response of reverent pagans. The sailors. The, those that earlier were deemed pirates. Do you see the change in their attitude? First, they are afraid of the storm. But after they throw Jonah into the sea and the sea calms... And they see this clear evidence of the seeking and sending God. They fear the Lord exceedingly. Now it's not just fear of His might, the fear of the storm, but it's fear of God. In fact, they offer sacrifices and make vows. If you look at the sailors, those pagan sailors who at the beginning were each calling out to their own God in hopes that a God out there somewhere would deliver them from the storm after their encounter with Jonah, after their encounter with the storm, after their encounter with the, 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 the work and the word of God, they fear Him and they obey Him. In fact, <coughs> in, in this beginning part of the story of Jonah, the account of Jonah, the sailors are more obedient than he is. Because 
the, the instruction to them is to throw him overboard, and they do. <laughs> I mean, they, they are reluctant, but ultimately they obey. And then once they see the result, their response is sacrifices and vows. Is that not what at that time in Israel people understood as obedience? To offer sacrifices and to take vows? Is that not how Israel showed their faith and obedience to God through these authorized religious activities? Now, we know that those are problematic because you can go through the religious activities without a changed heart. But I look at those sailors, and when it says they feared the Lord exceedingly, i got to think that the sacrifices they offered and the vows they took were heartfelt. Don't you? I mean, when, when, when it says they feared the Lord, Yahweh, exceedingly, I submit to you that those pagans, they, they went from fearfulness to reverence and repentance. Turning from their old ways and turning to God. By offering sacrifices and taking vows. They definitely showed reverence for him. And I also see and believe that they showed repentance for their ways. And began to follow the one true God. All because of an encounter with the seeking and sending God. I think that the application for us is super clear. How will you respond to the seeking and sending God? He is the same God, right? He still seeks after what is lost, right? He still sends His own to proclaim the gospel, right? Does God still do those things? Is He still that God? Yes, He is. How will you respond to him? And and it's easy to think about how you and I as individuals will, will respond to this God. Because in the context of Jonah, it's one guy. It's Jonah. How is Jonah, this one man, this one prophet, going to respond? And it's appropriate for each of us to ask How will I respond to the seeking and sending God? But I think it's also appropriate for us to think about how we, how we as a church, as a community of faith, will respond to the seeking and sending God. And then think about our context. Look look where we are, just look around for a minute. Right back there, there's a poster that says, coffee will make you black. I don't know if you saw that or not. I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. (laughs) I really don't. That's where we are right now. We're in a place where you see a poster like that on the wall and you have no idea what it's supposed to mean. You know, 
uh, we're in a different place than we used to be in, right? We're in a different context now. How are we as a church in this context going to respond to the seeking and sending God? I think the appropriate example <laughs> is not with fearfulness or resentment, but with reverence and repentance. Would you bow our heads and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a seeking and sending God. I pray that we will be a reverent and repentant people. In Jesus' name, amen.